0: So we are almost to the end of 2 Timothy. And we're we're also almost to the end of the life of Paul. And so I want you to notice the tone of our text. Uh, We've kind of seen it throughout the letter. Um, But Paul at this point is in his late 70s. His body's failing him. Uh, He is in prison. He is awaiting his execution. Uh, He knows that he is not long for this world. Uh, But... His eyes may be going dim, but the eyes of his mind are not. Paul is always looking forward. His eyes are more and more on eternity. I like to think of the picture of, of uh, binoculars. You know, the, the more that you zoom in binoculars, whatever is far off becomes really clear. You can't see anything else, but you begin to see all the details of the mountains in the distance, or the trees and The birds that you can't see with the naked eye. I think uh, this is where Paul is. Everything else is fading from view. But he is zoomed in, dialed in to the things of eternity. He is on this earth, but in his mind it is only a moment. It is as if he is going to be with his Savior at any second. And that is what is consuming his thoughts in his mind. So I thing that's good for us to consider because impending death gives you clarity. How many people, uh, knowing that their, their time is near, review the rest of their life and it gives them perspective? All the petty things that they, they worried about, all the fruitless pursuits that they went after, they, they don't have the same hold that, that they used to. Getting closer and closer to death r- r- relieves you of the self-reliance of youth. The hope of young men on energy and, and and youth and your own ability to make things happen. There is something about the end of life and being in a jail cell that brings Paul clarity. And for for most people we see this often. You get to the end of your life, and now all of a sudden you want religion. Well, okay, maybe I gotta make things right with the man upstairs. Uh, There's a saying in the military that there are no atheists in foxholes, meaning when the bullets start flying, everybody's praying. And so when it's all said and done, Paul now wants Timothy to know what is most important. Paul is focusing in on what will continue Timothy in his ministry. Paul, at the end of his race, is helping Timothy uh, to run his well. So, he's about to leave this world. What does he want Timothy to know? And what's amazing here, Paul facing death in prison for at least the second time. He has amazing spirits. This is a uniquely Christian perspective. Uh, There's a poet, Frederick Langbridge, who kind of describes this. He says, two men looked through the bars. One saw the mud. The other saw the stars. Uh, this is the believer. Paul is, is behind bars. He's not looking at the ground in the mud thinking, woe is me, but he is looking into glory. He is looking at the stars, his bright morning star that he will soon see. His eyes are heavenward. Uh, if you've ever read stories of persecuted Christians and martyrs, this is a resounding sentiment. That there is peace and joy in prison, which seems unthinkable to anyone else, even us sitting in this room as Christians. Like, how could I sing hymns and praise God in, in prison? Um, you know, Paul writing this, this letter in his in his time in prison. Uh, the voice of the martyrs book, when when faith is forbidden, has been really helpful. It's kind of written like daily devotionals. Uh, so there is one, uh, Sister Tong. You ever like read about someone you wish you could meet that person? Uh, so they didn't say her height, but she's somewhere in the four foot range. Uh, he says that his uh, his his wife is uh, what do you say five foot seven, and she towered over Sister Tong. Uh, but Sister Tong is a giant in the faith. So uh, let me just give you some excerpts. And um, so Sister Tong hosts a house church, and so in China, any gathering of Christians outside the system. Uh, of approved churches, without government approval, is an illegal religious gathering. Those caught at such meetings are subject to interrogation, arrest, and detention. Um, But practically, um, as a matter at that time, the Public Security Bureau officials focused mostly on hearers and leaders. Rather than trying to arrest every single person caught attending... So Sister Tong, who hosted such a gathering in her home, was arrested and sent to prison for six months. It was an effort by the government to re-educate her to think more like a communist and less like a person who has put on the mind of Christ. That is the goal of communism, by the way. Sister Tong came to meet us in a location where we could have some privacy. So he kind of is setting himself up to ask questions, to interview her. So his first question, he is anticipating hearing about all, how horrible prison was and everything that, that she went through first question so tell me about prison her response oh yes prison through a translator that was a wonderful time he says I turned to the translator now I was confused I'd asked about prison and sister Tong gave me this huge smile and said it was wonderful My translator must not have understood my question. Something had misconnected, hadn't it? Because in my understanding, there was no way anyone would ever say that prison was wonderful, right? Or was there? The translator assured me that he had translated my question and her answer correctly. Oh yes, that was a wonderful time for me. Now I definitely had more questions for Sister Tong. How could prison be wonderful? What was it about that experience that would bring such a smile to her face when she thinks back on it? She was only too happy to answer. Prison was wonderful because God was there with her. Sister Tong shared how close, how special her relationship with Jesus had been in prison. It was like he paid extra attention to her during that time, and her heart was warmed daily by his exceptional presence and touch. She felt so close to the creator of the universe in prison that it was hard to think of a time as anything other than wonderful, of that time as anything other than wonderful. And it wasn't just Christ's presence. He also allowed Sister Tong an amazing ministry in prison. She had the opportunity to lead several cellmates into a relationship with Christ. What could be more wonderful than seeing someone snatched from the kingdom of hell and brought into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. Sister Tong didn't really care to talk about the physical conditions inside the prison. She was much more focused on the spiritual conditions. And for her, the spiritual conditions had been wonderful. He goes on to say how this story still sticks with him to this day. And how much she taught him and how humbled he was. Because of what he viewed as prison to be like. Versus... Someone who is reliant on the Lord. So as we jump into our text, are we people who see the stars? You may never see the inside of a jail cell, but you see difficulty. And if you are faithful to the name of Christ, you will see opposition. Do you see the stars or do you see the mud? Are we people like Paul who sees our bright morning star in all seasons? So let's read our text. I'm going to begin in verse 5 and I'm going to read through verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify your name. We desire that you be exalted in our hearts, in our lips, in our speech, in our actions. That we would see you as higher and greater and more lovely and more wonderful than anything else we could hope or imagine. Lord, we ask that our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would not see the mud of our own difficulty and circumstances, but we would see the stars of our eternal home and the glorious reminder that we are indeed in the presence of our God. Our God will ever be with us and we with him. We praise you for uniting us through Christ, through sealing and keeping us through your spirit. Would we be a people who fight well, who run well, who keep the faith, who can say as Paul did as we end our race, we have run for Christ, we see the crown of righteousness which he purchased for us, and we say, come Lord Jesus, come, we love your appearing. Lord, may we be faithful whether you come five minutes from now or 5,000 years from now. Because everything we do here is light and momentary. But we have an eternal weight of glory waiting for us when we see you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So there's a pattern in our last few sections. Each one, Paul uh, makes a contrast between the actions of the world and those who might oppose Timothy and Timothy. Back in verse 10, this in the Greek is all the same. You, however, why does he say that in, in verse 10? Because in verse 8 and 9, Jonas and Jambris and those who oppose him are corrupt in mind. You don't be like them. Again, in verse 14, but as for you, why is that being said? Because right before it, evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, again here in verse 5, As for you, this is why we're starting this section here, because Paul's drawing a contrast. Why does that need to be said? Verse 3 and 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, Paul is continually showing Timothy that your life and your ministry, you are set apart, you are to be different than the opposition in the world that you face. In these last days, Timothy, people will not endure sound teaching. All the more reason to be relentless in your preaching, in season and out of season. You are to endure suffering, even if they won't endure your your teaching. You must endure everything that they throw at you. Because the gospel is primary. Timothy, do not shrink back. Timothy, do not be afraid. Don't be caught unawares. This is coming. Alistair Begg says that in every day, in every season, he wakes up asking what is required of me in ministry, and he recites this verse. For pastors, for those enlisted men, good soldiers, this is what is required every day. As for you, always... Be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In a secondary way, this is for every believer, but particularly for those who are in vocational ministry. You are an enlisted soldier, there are no part time soldiers. There is no reprieve when the bullets are flying, when the enemy is charging. So always be sober-minded. Do not let your guard down. Always endure suffering. Always do the work of evangelist. Always fulfill your ministry. Let's um, break these down a little bit because these are required, these expectations, in times of difficulty and deception. First, be sober-minded. The lexical definition of this is helpful. So in the Greek lexicon, be free from every form of mental or spiritual drunkenness. Sober-minded, be free of every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness. Therefore, to be well-balanced and self-controlled. Just as you would not let alcohol take control of your body so that you are drunk and that you no longer are in charge of your faculties, don't let anything spiritual, emotional, mental cause your mind to be drunk and impaired for ministry. When the world is out of control, we remain in control. When the world desires to intoxicate us with its loves and its passions, come over here. Stolen water is sweet. We remain on our mission. We are to be sober-minded. Secondly, endure suffering. We've already talked about this. Christian ministry will face opposition. We have a divisive message. Pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Lose the whole world and gain your soul. Or gain the whole world and lose your soul. There is no middle ground here. Endure suffering, Timothy. That is the message. That is not a popular message. But whatever you endure, whatever you have to go through for the gospel is worth it for Christ. We follow a suffering servant. Our Savior took the humiliation, the shame, the pain, and the wrath of God on the cross for us. How could we not suffer for him? Even if but for a short time. Because there is a temptation, especially with pastors, for our own comfort. To just compromise a little bit here. If I water down the message a little bit, then everyone will like me. Maybe if I don't deal with this difficult topic. Maybe if I don't talk about sin the way that the Bible does. um, Then I won't ever have to go through anything difficult. That is cowardly and foolish. That is not what the gospel calls us to. But pragmatism seems very appealing, especially in a day when the culture is against you. And still, even all the things we hear about the culture being against us today, it is still not what Paul went through. Christians are not being thrown into prison and executed for preaching yet. Suffering is still very much lighter than what most of our brothers and sisters throughout history and many around the world, as we prayed this morning for our brothers and sisters in India, are facing. But yet, we love self-preservation. So endure suffering, Timothy. It's coming. It's worth it. Thirdly, do the work of an evangelist. The evangelist has a single desire to see people transformed by the evangel. The Latin form of the good news, evangelium. An evangelist has a sole desire to see people hear about the work of Christ, and it applied to their life, to see them transformed. An evangelist has a sole focus of Christ crucified. Timothy, your ministry is to look to Christ, to lean on Christ and his cross. So Timothy, fourthly, fulfill that ministry. This in the Greek is more um, complete Finish. Bring it to its end. You are called to persevere in faithful service because your master bought you. Do it completely and do it unashamedly. This uh, parallels the soldier, as I mentioned earlier, back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Remember the Sharon suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The soldier must always be alert. His mission is greater than any suffering or harm he can face. His desire is to please his commanding officer. He has work to do. This particular soldier fights against oppression and bondage, freeing people from slavery with a message of freedom and hope. And so, Timothy, as long as you wear the uniform, i.e., as long as you walk this earth, you have a commanding officer. You have a mission. Complete your mission. This is summarized uh, when Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, Acts 20, 24. Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. What is that course? What is that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. the end of all things, everything else is stripped away. What is our message? Our God is gracious towards sinners. So much so he sent his son. And if you put your trust in the son, you will conquer with him. You will see him one day. By faith, you will be saved. So, this is Paul looking to Timothy. Timothy, here's what you must do. Why? Why am I telling you this, Timothy? Before or because, in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is, has come. My time's over, Timothy. I've been there, been a spiritual father to you, you've been able to rely on me, but no more. This may be the, these may be the last words Timothy ever heard from Paul. You must continue without me. I am already being poured out, meaning my end is, my end is near. My end is already at, at hand. Uh, these are two interesting images that Paul uses very vividly here. Number one, the, the drink offering. This in the Old Testament was wine poured out at the foot of the altar. And so there's this picture of the martyr's blood being poured out as an offering. The red liquid spilling out as an act of worship, offering his very life for the cause of Christ. Um, One of his other prison epistles earlier on, eight years earlier, uh, Philippians, we're going to look at two passages in Philippians. So turn to Philippians. The first one is Philippians chapter 2. Verses 17 and 18. Notice his perspective earlier on. Chapter 2, verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, it was an if then, right now, it's a certainty. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, why is Paul being poured out? For the sake of the church. For the sake of the faith of the saints. The church in Philippi, the church in Galatia, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Ephesus. And I am glad and rejoice with you all. I am rejoicing. If I would be called worthy to suffer like my Savior suffered, that my blood would pour out for others. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You can keep your finger there because the second picture Paul gives us, one is of a drink offering, the other is of departure. We might just skim past this word, but it's a fascinating word. This is the word that they would use when they untied or unhitched a boat from its moorings. When the boat was to leave land and be set off to sea. It's this picturesque view of, of Paul and his body, or his, excuse me, his soul being unhitched from his body. And him taking off into sea, sailing off into the sunset, if you will. I am unhitched from the things of this world. My departure, I am going and I'm not coming back. Also, in Philippians 1, uh, Brett read the first half of this. And providentially, I'm gonna pick up where he left off this morning. Philippians chapter one, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better for me It is much better. I love you guys, but I want to be with Christ way more than I want to be with you. No offense. But to remain in the flesh is much more necessary on your account. Paul understood this eight years earlier. He understood it's better to go be with Christ, but it's better for them if he stays. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith. Why? So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's ministry, okay, Lord, I'm ready to be with you, but if you have me here, my goal is that the church glories in your name, that they find their, their, their hope and their joy in Christ Jesus. His ministry. For the sake of those he loved, Paul remained on this wretched planet because he loved the church. He loved the elect of God. And that is why we are still here. Um, Pastor Jesse reminded me this week that uh, this parallels um, Reepicheep, the warrior mouse in the Chronicles of of Narnia. Um, He's called the beloved of of Aslan. Um, It's a little, you know pint-sized fighter uh, who loves to draw his sword, who loves to go into battle. He loves nothing more. But at the end of his life, realizing that they can't beat the sea serpent, he puts his sword away, releases the moorings and sails away, and everyone is shocked. The other thing about Reepa Cheep that is most important is that his entire life, he has had the goal of Finding his way to Aslan's country, his entire life, all he wanted was to be in the great land of Aslan. And so, I want to show you uh, a quote from him, which I think is is so beautiful uh, and and parallels this well. He says, "While I can, I I sail east in the Dawn Treader. When she fails me, I will paddle east in my coracle." If you don't know what a coracle is. It is the, the, the least efficient boat that has ever been set on sea. It, it looks like a bowl. It's perfectly round. It is not aerodynamic at all. Um, it, is, it is held together by, uh, you know, sticks and uh, reeds. It's like a little spinning top uh, on the ocean. When this ship sets, when this ship falls, I'm going to get in my, uh, my little coracle, and I shall, um, and when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. This is how desperately he wants to go to Aslan's land. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. This is a little mouse who sees the stars. This is a little mouse who knows that being in Aslan's country is greater than anything, even if I have to swim there with my little paws. And it's going to take him a while. And if I can't The last thing I do will be pointing my nose toward the stars, toward the sunrise. This is Paul. This should be us. There is nothing greater than going to Aslan's country. Whether by ship or by coracle or by backstroke. So when he gets to the next section here. He talks about his his life. This is is Paul's effort, Paul's dedication to ministry. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. These Greek verbs all show that these are completed actions that are continuous. They are are nonstop. Paul has fought, and he hasn't stopped fighting. He has finished the race because he never stopped running. He has kept the faith because he never gave up. Let's look at the, the uh, three of these. I have fought the good fight. This can be a battle or it can be an athletic contest like, like wrestling. Um, he tells Timothy exactly what the good fight is at the end of 1 Timothy. Just flip a page back in your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. What is that? Remember, we, we talked about this. What is that, that fight? The fight is not against sin. Flee those things. The fight is pursuing righteousness. The fight is, is, is moving forward, not looking back. Fight the good fight of the faith. How do you do that? You take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, how do you fight the good fight? Keep your eyes on the prize. Look to eternal life. Remember, you made a public proclamation, probably at his ordination. I will serve Christ forever. I will keep my eyes fixed on him. Fight the good fight. The fight is good because the goal is good, because our commander is good. And even death is not failure. Death is not defeat. When we fight the fight that we're in, we are fighting a battle that has already been won. It was completed at the cross, and that's why it's a good fight, because the end is not in jeopardy. The end is sure, because he has conquered. I fight, we fight a battle that's already been won. How confident should we be? We know the end of the story. We know that the cross was the seal and the guarantee that sin and death and all of the enemies but the lord god almighty their day will come there is no reversing what is done in the cross this old soldier his armor is still intact the belt the shield the breastplate the helmet the shoes they may have some arrow holes in them they may have some scratches and dents But as he finishes his race, his armor is still intact. His sword has defended him against all of the accusations of those who oppose him. So here's the soldier, now the runner. I have finished the race. Death is the finish line of this Christian race. The glory and rest of the saints. But I think it's important to, to say this. You don't often think about this, but far too many people treat conversion as the finish line. Do You know what I mean? So uh, let me give you a scenario. Most of you have probably been in a church or have heard this from people. Come up, walk the aisle, pray the prayer, do the thing, you're good. That's all you need to do. Just rest and everything will be wonderful and perfect until you die. That's not the finish line. Conversion is the starting line. That is where the race starts. That's when you can run because the end is sure. Again, just like the battle. Conversion is the starting line of this difficult and wonderful race. Every runner who the father has chosen, the son has paid for and the spirit seals All the way until the end. Every runner will finish his race. But every race is not the same. Paul had his race. Timothy has his. Our races will be different. Some will be a lot of uphill. Some will be a lot of twists and turns. Some will be all downhill. And praise God for that. But if you are in Christ, you will all finish the race. And Paul is getting to that point. And so Paul, continuing this racing analogy, is now passing the baton to Timothy. This is it. This is a relay, Timothy. I am sprinting the last 20 yards to get to that, that, that finish line. Here's the baton. Here's the good treasure. Here's the faith, the good deposit. Timothy, what I have done, you must continue to do. Timothy, don't Don't fear. Don't, don't, don't miss me. You'll see me in glory again. Christ will build his church. Uh, I think as often as we can, we need to be reminded of Romans 8. I want to read Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. So when you think about life being difficult or someone you love, a beloved saint going, going home Or opposition or persecution coming. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race, and you will too. Why? Because I have kept the faith. This baton that I'm passing to you, the good deposit, Faith is shorthand for the word of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, with no compromise. Again, earlier on in the same book, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul tells us what this good deposit is. Chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By, how do we guard it, how do we hold on to it? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I have kept the faith because the Holy Spirit has kept me. So fighting, competing, and guarding what is valuable, these are all worthy pursuits. They require hard work. They require diligence. They require commitment. And they also come with a hearty reward at the finish line. Now we get into verse 8. This verse 8 here is an encouragement for everyone who is found in Christ. So uh, I, I want to break down each of these, these phrases here. There's going to be a lot of cross-references because um, this parallels a lot of what Paul writes and a lot of what Peter writes as well. Henceforth, uh, from now on, all that is left, Paul, as he looks upon the, the uh, finish line, from this point on, what, is, what I know is already mine in Christ Jesus, I is not yet in my possession, but I can taste it. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to each who, or to all who have loved his appearing. Let, let's break down each one of these. There is laid up for me. Um, Peter has the same eye on, on, on the prize. We read from this earlier, but I want to just bring our attention to 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What are we born again to? What did Christ accomplish? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the last day that Paul's going to speak about in just a moment. This is what Christ accomplished for us. He sealed us, he saved us, and we share his inheritance. We are co-heirs. You know when our inheritance was laid up for us? The moment Christ rose from the grave. You know how long it's going to be there? Forever. So when Paul has his binoculars dialed in, he sees the, 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 the glorious riches that he will share with Christ in the final day and for every day. There will no longer be days. He says something similar in Colossians 1 to encourage the church in Colossae. Colossians 1, 3 through 3-5. Notice the a pattern for, for ministry here. Kind of working backwards, I'll explain it. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Here's the aim and result of ministry. The gospel is preached. The gospel leads to hope and love. Excuse me, the gospel leads to hope, and then that hope leads to faith and love. Why? Because your hope is laid up in heaven. If we had hope, if our hope is on this earth, how depressed would we be? This is why people are so depressed today, because they're trying to find their hope and security in this place. That is stupid. But our hope is laid up in heaven. The gospel tells us so. That is the source of our faith. That is the fountain of our love because it is undefiled, unfading, and it will never be taken because God himself, through the Spirit, guards it for us. And what is laid up in the singular here? The crown of righteousness. The only crown that matters. No medals, no kingly attire matter, but the crown of righteousness the crown is common imagery. And the athletes in those, those days, when they won, they would wear a, a, a wreath of branches for victory. It would be around the, the crown or the top of their head. You win a race, you would strut your stuff around town with these leaves wrapped around your, your, your head. But Paul gives us a very different picture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Uh, and if you can't get through these, Quickly, that's fine. They'll be up on the screen. I just want you to have them, and the references should be in your notes. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only only one receives the, the, the prize? So think about it. In earthly races, there's only one winner. There's only one prize, as there should be. There should not be any participation trophies. Another story for another day. So run, then, that you may obtain it. Here's the thing. There is only one prize, and someone earned it. Christ, the firstfruits. He earned the crown. And so since he earned it, he finished the race for us in a way we couldn't. Now we get to share in that crown. Christ wore a crown of thorns. Paul goes on. Every athlete exercises self-control. Here we go again. In all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. Always be sober-minded and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul runs. He has ran because Christ has purchased that imperishable wreath for him. That crown of righteousness is Christ's righteousness that is his because of the cross. That is why he runs. That is how he runs. That is why he runs. James calls that crown of righteousness a crown of life. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want you to hear this this is not a crown of earning this is not do better try harder and god will give you the crown this is christ bought it he gave it to you because he loved you and his spirit teaches you to love him and because you love him you have his crown righteousness is what we could never earn we could never bring but the righteousness that christ applies to us is our life is our crown And if you endure suffering, going through trials, that crown is waiting for you at the end of the race. Um, Peter, like Paul, is exhorting elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you're in James, just one book to the right. 1 Peter chapter 5, notice when he is talking to the elders, he says, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter has the same vision. I saw Christ crucified. But I will see Christ in glory. And I already in Christ partake in that divine assurance. Because it's going to be revealed one day. Paul looks to the appearing. Peter looks to the revealing. Same thing. So. As he's talking to the men who also carry this baton, who are serving his elders, he tells them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is the greatest prize, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, my righteousness that was applied to you, welcomes you home, seals you in me forever. Pastors are enlisted soldiers. They are running a race, and the prize the crown of righteousness. And where does that righteousness come from? The Lord, the righteous judge. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Um, To judge, we have this negative view of of a judge. Because for us, if we go before a judge, it's not a good thing. You don't ever go before a judge for a vacation. But judges in those days, they were wise men who, who, who decided. This judge, we know that he will judge the living and the dead. He will decide, righteous sheep, my right hand. Unrighteous goat, my left hand. He will decide between the living and the dead, but he also decides their reward. Paul says here, he'll be awarded. Jesus speaks often of treasures, riches stored up in heaven. I'll just give you one example, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, There are many, especially within Matthew. Jesus speaks much of the kingdom of heaven and of storing up treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Whoever receives me, excuse me, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, the Father. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person uh, because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This righteous judge will always judge perfectly and rightly and truly. He will give the crown to those he purchased it for. But there will also be treasures stored up in heaven based on what you do here on earth. Let me give you a few examples. This might be confusing for you. I'll tell you what it is, and I'll tell you why I should not discourage you in just a moment. Uh, Colossians 3, 23 through 25. It's like your Bible sword drills this morning, but it's good for you. Um, Colossians 3, 23 to 25. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The greatest reward is that crown of righteousness, the Co inheritance with, with Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, he will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Also in 2 Corinthians 5 6 through 10. Paul again says to the church in Corinth, I love how this is all tied together here. For we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Notice, this is why Paul can depart and set sail, because his home is not on this earth. His home is not here. He loves to be with the body of, of, of Christ. He, he is thankful that God has given him life and a body, physical body to walk around with. But this is not his home. This is not where he puts his hope and his trust. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And what is Christ doing in that judgment seat so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil? The writer of Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means if you have saving faith, what you do is pleasing to God. And you will be repaid for the good that you have done because of the good that the Lord has done in you first. And this is a. This should not be worry or, or don't hear works righteousness here. Don't hear me telling you you must do more so that God is pleased with you. Hear me telling you if you are in Christ, God is pleased with you, so aim to please him in return. Do more out of Christ's righteousness not to earn Christ's righteousness. This is why Paul can say of Alexander the coppersmith, and we'll deal with him next week in verse 14, that he did me great harm and the Lord will pay, re- repay him according to his deeds. So if there are some of you in this room, and I know there are, who are worried like, well, what if I haven't done enough? I haven't done as much as you, Pastor Tim. Please don't think that. Um, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. One simple verse from the mouth of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Remember this, 11, 11. If you ever are discouraged because you have not, I'm not telling you not to store up treasures in heaven, but if you ever d- discourage because you think you're, you're lowly and you can't do much, look what he says here. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is none arisen who are greater than John the Baptist. So, you know, the disciples uh, debating on Jesus' side and you know, who's going to be greatest. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, other than Jesus, John the Baptist already has that. Who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Least. I asked Jim's permission, and he told me I could say this. Last week, Jim sitting back there in the wheelchair. I love Jim's perspective. He says, I can't wait to be with my Savior. Give me a bucket and a mop. I'll be a janitor, uh, and I will keep the, the, the floors spotless. You would be glad to be a janitor in the kingdom of God. Even if your reward is the one talent doubled, it is greater than Solomon. Jeff Bezos, and every other rich man has ever seen on this this planet. That inheritance, those those riches will shine brighter than the sun. And even the least, the, the least effective saint in the kingdom is greater than all the pastors in pulpits this morning because they do it without sin. They do it in the full righteousness and perfect harmony with their Savior. Look forward to those days. Those are good. And that is the day that Paul looks forward to. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. We talked about this with the ladies, but there is a there is a singular day, that last time uh, that, that uh, Peter mentioned. The final consummation. Paul looks forward to a time when Jesus will return, when he will appear when he will resurrect the living and the dead, when he, will reju- when he will judge them and he will recreate the heavens and the earth. The consummation of all things, that's the day I'm looking forward to. I will go to be with my Lord soon. Today you will be with me in paradise. But he's not done. There will be a final battle, a final judgment, and then there will be a final state. That day is when the crown and the riches and the kingdom come And hear these beautiful words, saints, and not only me. Don't hear this and think, that's just for Paul. That's just for the extra spiritual guy. What is the requirement for that crown of righteousness? Not that you earn your righteousness, but that you love Christ. You can do that. You are called to love him. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This love in the Greek is a love that continues and won't stop. Not only me, but all who love his appearing. Do we have this vision? Brothers and sisters, do you think about this? Do you think about the communion that we have? The perseverance that is promised to us. That if you love Christ, you will look forward to his coming and we have that in common. This is your inheritance too. And it's not to the exceptional, to the overachievers. It's to the weak and the lowly who have nothing to give but their love for the Lord. This love, if you know that the Lord loves you, if you know that... God the Father loved you so much that he would send his Son, and the Son loved you so much that he would lay down his life for you, and the Spirit loves you so much that he preserves you every second of every day. You will love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And you will look forward to him coming back because you get to be reunited to your beloved. This is true saving faith. This is what Paul guarded. This is what Paul passed on to Timothy generation after generation, which is now passed on to us. Our soteriology must and will direct our eschatology. A couple big words, but how we, how we view salvation, our thinking and doctrine on salvation will direct how we view the end times. Because if you know that the Father sent the Son to redeem a bride, The son paid the price to guarantee that bride. That the spirit will teach them and guide them to love the son. That they will finish that race. That they will see him. This is our greatest hope. And so the end times, the final day is not one of fear but one of joy and anticipation. If your your view of salvation is right, your view of the judgment and eternity will be right. Guaranteed. He finishes here. Not only me, but all those who have loved his appearing. That glorious display of the invisible becoming visible. The coming of Christ. There will be a day when the Son of Man will appear in the clouds with glory. When the thunders will come from heaven. When a trumpet will sound and all the hosts of heaven will return with him. Paul has his eyes fixed on that day. So does Timothy, and so should we. Until Christ returns, ministry will continue. Our faith will one day be turned to sight, but until then, we walk by faith and not by sight. So, in our final moments, I want to give you um, a couple things to think about. As we prepare to approach the Lord's table, I want you to contemplate this. And again, don't hear me saying that you must answer all of these questions perfectly or have everything worked out perfectly to come to this table. But what this table represents, the righteousness of Christ applied to you by faith. If you are in Christ, this table is for you. But do you know what this table signifies? So what about you? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, these questions will be up on the screen. Uh, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do? What would you think? If you knew everything that you've held dearly in this life will be gone tomorrow, what would you think? Martin Luther said he would still plant an apple tree. Um, it's a little anticlimactic. But Paul is a great example of finishing well, writing to encourage churches, as we'll see next week. You know what he wants more than anything? He wants his parchments so that he can write to the churches. And encourage them with his final breath. So what about you? Question number two, what would you pass on to others? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what are the most important things you would want to say? Would you give stock tips? Would you tell them what the weather is going to be next week? Or would you tell them what they need to know for eternity? Next, do you love Christ's appearing? Because you know that he loved you first. Do you know that? We teach kids to sing, Jesus loves me. We say these things. There are bumper stickers and hats and all this stuff. But do you know it? Is it in your heart? Do you know the love of God? How often do we forget? Do we say I should look forward to his appearing, but maybe I'm a little scared? And the next question gets to that. Or maybe it doesn't. I took that question out. Oh, I skipped one. That's why. Um, Would you fear leaving this world? Sorry, you have to go back, Joseph. Um, Would you fear leaving this world more than looking forward to the next? I think this is where most of us are at. We like the comfort and complacency of everything here. We're going to look at Demas next week who puts his hope in this world. Would you fear leaving this world more than looking forward to the next? Next one, could it be said about you that you have stored up treasures in heaven? Is all of your hope and your wealth here? If everything was taken from you here, would you be distraught? Or is your hope stored up in heaven? Next, could you say confidently with Paul in verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then finally, if you didn't die tomorrow, should your life be any different? My prayer, our benediction to this sermon will be the final words of jesus in our bible in revelation 22 behold i am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jumping down to verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I'll give you a few moments in your seats to prepare to approach the Lord's table.